Welcome to the King's Island Central Podcast. KICentral.com is King's Island's ultimate fan site. Now, here's your host, Robbie Zerhusen. Welcome to the King's Island Central Podcast number nine, Working as a Ride Operator. I'm your host, Robbie Zerhusen, Coasters RZ on the KIC forums. I'm joined by Brad Perdue. Hello. And Nick Shank, who goes on the forums as Dare to Fly. Hello, everybody. So this episode, we're going to kind of touch on what being a ride operator entails, some pointers and some things that Nick and I have learned over the years of being a ride operator. And Brad, you can learn and throw some questions in since you have not been a ride operator. Yeah. So well, why don't we ask Nick um, about his background as being a, a enthusiast of Kings Island? Well, what all would you like me to, to go into first? Just how you became an enthusiast, got on KIC, and um, what's your favorite ride at the park? Okay. Well, um, to start with, might surprise some people to learn I actually didn't go to Kings Island for the first time until 2003. Uh, wow. I always liked rides, uh, but my family never really traveled a whole lot. So most of my credits certainly came after I was out of high school, which was 2003 was when I graduated. Um, up until that point, most of what I had done rides-wise was Americana Amusement Park, which used to be in Middletown. My family went there just about once a year. And then I had been to my brother's company picnic at Old Indiana, which has long since closed. That was back in 1994 and had been to Cedar Point in 2000. And I'm kind of proud of the fact that I rode Millennium Force in its opening year, something that I feel like gives me a little bragging rights. But um, I didn't get in, uh, to Kings Island until 2003 and I went right before I started college with my girlfriend at the time. And I remember we were there in its last week that they were open through the week. And it was a very overcast day with showers off and on. So I remember there were not a whole lot of people there and it just had an absolutely amazing time and absolutely fell in love. And from there I have, been to Kings Island other than the following year in 2004. I've been every year since. And I've been a pass holder at Kings Island since 2006. Um, and I've been getting to as many parks as I possibly can ever since. What's your favorite <laughs> ride at Kings Island? Uh, it's always been the beast. Um, I've always liked wooden coasters anyway and uh, Having the beast and practically in my backyard is a lot of fun for me. I love it being the, the longest wooden coaster in the world, which is impressive that this will be season 41 and it still holds that title. Right. Okay, so beast is your favorite. What's your second favorite? I, I have to go with the classic. It'll be the racer. <laughs> Followed by, of course, Mystic. <laughs> Is the beast your favorite? We run out of uh, wooden coasters at the park. Is the beast your favorite coaster you've ever been on? 
So my my sentimental favorite is still Screeching Eagle from Americana. I just can't get away with calling that one anything other than my favorite coaster. It's I'll, I'll always hold that one close to my heart. Yeah. But after that one is definitely Beast, and then past that one will be Boardwalk Bullet in Kena, Texas. So you've done a lot of traveling to different parks. Um, quite a few. Um, I mean, you don't have to list them all, just, you know. (laughs) Of course, but I'm trying to think of how many parks I've been to, and I want to say it's 72 at this point. Different. You've been to Um, to some over in England, right? mm -hmm. We went to uh, several of them in England. Blackpool, Pleasure Beach, along with um, Alton Towers and Thorpe Park, Lightwater Valley, and um, Yarmouth Pleasure Pier. other than that, I've, I haven't done anything out of the country except Canada's Wonderland. I have to admit. Nice. I was looking up what my coaster, current coaster count is. It's 426. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm I'm at like 238. Well, you guys both have me beat. I'm at like 130. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, England trip certainly racked them up a little bit. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So why did he decide you wanted to become a ride operator? So uh, for years, obviously, I always, always liked rides. And I had never even considered it as a possibility. I grew up out in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. And... Um, in 2009, I found out from a fellow enthusiast that um, Kings Island was asking for volunteers for various organizations to come and work at the park during days when they didn't have a whole lot of staff right at the beginning of the season. It would have been uh, the first full week they were open in May, along with Fridays in May. and. ACE was one of the organizations, that's American Coaster Enthusiasts, and I had been a member of ACE at that point for two years, and so I did a little bit of sleuthing and found out that I could volunteer to work in ride operations. I thought, oh, this is really cool to be able to go and volunteer my time at the park and get to work the rides instead of just riding them all the time. Right. And so I remember uh, going the weekend before the, the first day I was to volunteer to go through their uh, rides general knowledge class. And then the next, uh, I believe it was the next Friday, I went in that morning not necessarily knowing where I was going to be. I just knew I would be in rides someplace. And remember sitting there waiting to be placed and thinking, oh, I wish I could go to the Beast. And sure enough, as luck would have it, that's where I was sent for that day was the Beast. (laughs) And uh, it took two days of volunteering before I approached one of the area supervisors there and was basically like, please don't make me leave. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go anywhere. (laughs) So I... um, found out that I really enjoyed it and a lot of people said that I was good at it so I was like I don't want to go anywhere. and 
sure enough, other than a couple of oddball years since then, I've been working rides every summer since 2009. So, so I'm assuming they hired you in 2009 and started paying you to do, to work the ride, right? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I remember correctly, I volunteered for five different days in May and then was officially hired on right at the beginning of June. And then actually got paid for the rest of the year. I do remember that that first year when I was commuting every single day at a little over an hour and a half, there there was a lot of travel time on the roads. Yeah. So you were commuting an hour and a half to be a ride operator at Kings Island. You must have really loved that job. I, I did. I very much loved that job. <laughs> now I definitely do remember getting in line to Beast and wonder if I'm going to see Nick in line <laughs> so I got my start back in 2002 and I was needing a summer job it was right before my senior year of high school and I had thought about going to Kings Island but Kings Island is like 25 miles from my house which I know compared to your commute Nick is nothing but yeah, king zone's 140 miles from my house <laughs> i decided to go with applying to coney which was seven miles from my house and i got the job and next thing you know it's been 18 seasons down there and unfortunately the 18 seasons will not be added to in ride operations anymore since they decided to remove the rides but I enjoyed it, and I actually did a short stint at Kings Island as well in 2013 and 14 at Skyflyer. Now, was that the only ride you uh, worked at? I did work a shift at Firehawk. A shift. One shift, yep. Wow. I was only working at Kings Island in postseason, so I was there from mid-September through the end of the season for Haunt. Gotcha. Definitely not the time of year to be sent around to a lot of different uh, rides if you're on an understaffed group. <laughs> right. And I was trained at Drop Tower and the Bat, but I never actually did anything other than getting trained. Now, there's a question I have, and people ask me this all the time just because I, I, I'm an enthusiast and go to the park a lot, but did working for the park change any of the magic of the park for you? I would say no. What about you, Nick? It didn't change a single bit of the magic for me. In fact, in uh, many ways, it increased it because I, I know that there are some people that don't necessarily want to go to work on their day off, but when work is pretty much a big playground, <laughs> it, it just for me, it was a lot of fun to be able to go there on my day off and just think to myself, wow, I work here and I'm a part of this. So I've, I've always taken a lot of pride in, in working at a park, and that's been at every single park that I've worked for. Yeah, I mean, in my 18 seasons at Coney, I can honestly say I looked forward to going into work every single day, even though most of those years was Coney was my second job on the weekends. Well, I mean, being your second job uh, and not your day job where you make the majority of your money, it, it has to be something you enjoy doing. Yeah. 
It does. Cause I mean, I was working, I'd be working like 45 hours at my day job and then I would work sometimes 15, 20 hours on the weekend at Coney. And then I did the scheduling for the last eight years. So I was putting in about 30 hours a week in the summer at Coney and then 40 to 45 at my regular job. Wow. So needless to say, my wife was always happy when it became September and I was home more during the weekends. <laughs> I bet. And uh, I've certainly put in a lot of hours that way as well, just simply from being a teacher and in the spring and the fall, having a park to work out on weekends and then teaching during the week, it, it doesn't make for a whole lot of free time. Right. It's certainly worth it. Well, what about... Uh... KIC members or other enthusiasts who are listening to the podcast, what suggestions would you have for the people wanting to become a ride operator or work for a park? I guess the um, first thing that I would say is if, especially if they're fairly close to an amusement park and they think they might want to try it out, it's, it's honestly not a uh, hard industry to get a job in if you time it right because at the beginning of the season and especially as they go to daily operation they're always looking for extra employees especially in this day and age a lot of places are hiring and while the pay may not necessarily be as much as you can get some of the other places they certainly make up for it and all the perks that go along with it mm -hmm. because you get at a bare minimum admission to whatever park you work at and most of the larger parks have agreements with other amusement parks where you can get in there for free a lot of times with a friend and typically it's a nice you get um, complimentary tickets to give to family and friends and it's nice to be able to take them and share in the magic with them on your day off as well right because you want to share that magic of where you work and the place you enjoy as much uh, with them as as everyone. Absolutely. The, the only warning that I would say is it's not necessarily as easy as it looks because it um, appearances are deceiving in that fact. You're, you're going to be spending a lot of hours, a lot of very grueling hours at a physically demanding job out in 100 degree weather potentially or pouring rain, depending on which ride you're at. So it's um, it, it's demanding in that way. And also so sometimes the, the guests are not always as happy with what you're telling them as what, what you'd like them to be. There's definitely enforcement of policies that can sometimes tick people off. And so you have the occasional guess that's less than desirable to, to be around. Now, what is the policy uh, from Ohio State, uh, not Ohio State, but not the college or university, uh, mm -hmm. but the state level of listening to a write-op? Is it true that uh, in Ohio, you must listen to a ride operator's instructions? It yes. is, according to uh, the law in the state of Ohio, you are required to follow all guidelines, whether they are posted or verbal, 
and not listening to a ride operator is considered a misdemeanor in the state of Ohio. I know a, a couple of ride operators that know the exact code on the law that they love to, to spout off. I, I don't find that necessary, but it is kind of funny when they do it. Mm-hmm. I could spout it off if you wanted to. you do have a knack for remembering things like that well i also had the old ferris wheel sign from coney hanging up in my basement so (laughs) oh it was posted the ferris wheel at at coney it's posted on the bottom of any ride sign in the state of ohio oh okay that's interesting to know i'll have to more attention to that yeah if you look in the fine print it spells it out so bring your binoculars and you can pretty much <laughs> you you can read it from quite a few feet away but next time you're at king's island it is posted at the entrance and exit of every ride it's right across the bottom but no one ever reads that fine print of course not i mean you get software or something and agree to the license agreement everyone just scrolls to the bottom next hits accept don't know what they're agreeing to i admit i've been guilty of that a few times <laughs> well who wants to sit there and read for 20 minutes not me definitely not me. <laughs> <laughs> another suggestion for people that want to become write ops i would say even if you're shy and don't think you're outgoing but you're still interested in going for the job, go for it. You'll meet some amazing friends working in the job and you'll become less shy with the job because you kind of have to because you have to talk to people. And I can attest to that not being a right operator of members who were on KIC, very shy, uh, not a people person. They you know, were kind of more introverted that started working at King's Island and it just kind of like changed their personality after they were there for a while. And um, so, yeah, if you're a person who is more introverted and not sure this is you, it, it definitely, I think, opens your horizons on on that. Yeah, I mean, that was me when I started at Coney. I was very shy and I would barely even talk to my fellow coworkers that first season. <laughs> Several years later, I'm very shy. What? But I remember starting off very, very shy and introverted as well. Yeah. (laughs) And then several years later, I became manager at Coney. So I was in charge of 35 people at a time and in charge of doing all the scheduling. And you have to talk and you have to talk to the upset customers and learn how to handle that and just get experience and you get used to how to handle those situations. I remember something that terrified me when I first started in rides was talking over the microphone. And I remember one of one of the full-time managers when, when I was still volunteering at Kings Island came to the ride and he asked if I had been on the microphone yet. I said, no, I'm fine with keeping it that way. <laughs> and he just kind of gave me a funny look and said, we'll see about that. And a few minutes later, when he was ready to leave, said, by the way, they're putting you on the microphone next hour. So, <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but, uh, 
As it turned out, squealing was something that uh, not only do you get used to it really fast, it actually ends up being a lot of fun after a while. So was that your most feared uh, part of the job was getting on a microphone? Absolutely. I was absolutely terrified of it at first. And the, um, so my first year was 09. Then in 2010, I didn't work at a park. When I went back to Kings Island in 2011, that was what I was looking forward to the most. <laughs> was <laughs> my first hour on the microphone because I missed stealing. I like stealing. <laughs> Now, do other ride operators not like spieling, or do they get used to it as well? Pretty much that's something that everybody fears and really does not want to do and tries so hard to get out of to begin with. And then the more you're on the microphone, the more you get used to it and enjoy it. So um, I, I would say it's probably not quite a half and half, but it's, most of them, I think, do enjoy it. They're, they're a good portion of them that would rather not be on the microphone, but it's just part of the job that you get used to and most of the time enjoy it. Now, tell us a little bit about the weather and dealing with weather-related issues, whether it's storming, uh, and what kind of weather would you prefer? Would you rather it be raining or hot? Uh, I was just commenting on about this to my wife the other day that the best days for me, I think, are the just sort of gloomy overcast days where everybody kind of is ho-hum, but at, at the same time, you don't have to worry about the sun, so you're not going to get a really super bad sunburn. You're not frying on the sun, but yet it's not rainy and nasty either, so it's kind of a nice, happy medium, and usually on days like that, the lines are a little bit less, but not deserted either. So it, it kind of has its perks both ways. Yeah, when the weather's really like rainy, like a light rain all day and the park's deserted, those can be really long days because the time just goes by so slowly, especially if there's no one riding the rides. Hmm. I would much rather not have one of the rainy, nasty kind of days because not only are there the guests usually unhappy because you have to go down for weather periodically throughout the day, but then at some point you start having to just stand around waiting for riders that aren't there, so it gets kind of boring. Right. I'd rather be busy. <laughs> and then there's always the downfall too, if they decide to close a park early, then you get have to go home and you're missing out on so many hours that were gonna be on your paycheck. Right. So we haven't addressed this, Nick. Where all have you worked in rides? So um, obviously Kings Island. Uh, I've also worked, as you well know, Robbie, uh, I've worked at Coney Island. I spent four seasons there, starting as rides crew member and working my way up to manager. Then I've also worked at Dollywood. I was trained at two rides there, Tennessee Tornado and Blazing Fury and spent two seasons at Fast Tracks in Pigeon Forge, which is a go-kart track and family entertainment center. With, um, mainly they have go-kart tracks, but they also have a couple throw rides, seven kitty rides, and an arcade. Nice. And every single one of those four parks has been completely different to work for. Really? 
they all have their advantages and all have their disadvantages. So what was your favorite ride to operate outside of Kings Island at one of those other parks? I would say my favorite non-KI ride to operate was Blazing Fury at Dollywood because it was built in-house and I know many people will remember the interpreter and I remember mm -hmm. something that he said that was just hilarious when we were riding at once. It's definitely a two-of-a-kind ride because <laughs> of course it has one twin at Silver Dollar City in Branson, Fire in the Hole. Um, and those two are just about alike, but those are the only two parks I've ever seen really anything like it. It's certainly designed in-house, and so it had a very unusual and unique control system. And oh. easily one of the most quirky rides to operate that I've, I've ever seen. It just You never knew quite what that ride was going to do from one minute to the next. <laughs> and so that just made it kind of fun. It's like, hmm. Wonder what we'll do today. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back to Kings Island, uh, let's say you're working on the Beast. What was your favorite spot to work? Whether it be front gate, separation, driving, or checking seats. Well, I think just about everybody is going to pick drive at really any of the the spots around the park, but. One of one of my other spots that I absolutely loved was working full side dual, which is the loading side of the platform, having the, the whole side of the train all to yourself and hitting the dual dispatch button in the back of the station. Okay. And I always liked the challenge of working that spot just simply because it was kind of Demanding in that you had a limited amount of time to check 18 lap bars and seat belts. And, um, so it was fast paced. Not, not stacked trains. And just, it was always kind of fun for me just in having that challenge of how many trains can we get through in an hour. That's cool. I always, always like the pacing of that position. And see, Skyflyer at Kings Island is so very different than like the Beast operationally that you can only have so many riders per hour because you can only harness so many people and get them through. So the pacing at Skyflyer was a lot more laid back in terms of capacity versus like ride like the Beast. What was your favorite ride to operate at Coney? Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel. I liked running. I liked running all of them, but the Ferris wheel I liked because when you're loading it, you got you're putting two or three people in a seat, so you got time to actually talk to them. Whereas some rides like Scrambler, when you're just counting in 36 people, you don't have as much like personal contact with the park guests. So you like the more personal interaction. Yeah, and the Ferris wheel at Coney was all hand controlled so you're not just pushing like a reset start button and then the ride computer does everything else you're having to balance the ride and if you have two large adults on car one then you can't just put like a small child in car two you kind of have to pay attention to the weight makes sense 
What was your favorite ride to run at Coney, Nick? It was awesome Ferris wheel. <laughs> I, I liked the the overall challenge of, of running that ride for many of the same reasons that you just said, but it just, I like rides that have a lot of manual control. And so for, for that reason, Ferris wheel was a lot of fun for me. Which surprisingly, the Ferris wheel at Cooney was one of the rides that produced the most protein spills. The Ferris wheel? Yep. That doesn't make sense. I got puked on when I was training somebody on that ride once. <laughs> well, it's not like it was a forceful ride in the least bit. No, but it went relatively quick and that it was just enough to get people's stomachs. Hmm. And it's, it's funny, too. I would have expected the ride that would have produced the most protein spills to be Tilt-A-Whirl because everybody talks about, oh, I can't ride the Tilt-A-Whirl because I'll get sick. And yet River Runner, our swinging canoe, by far and away had the most protein spills. And my, my theory on that, people that are going to get sick riding the Tilda World know that. And so they don't ride it, but they think, oh, chicken chip, we can do that. They, they didn't realize that it was back and forth repetitively for several minutes and that maybe their stomach wasn't as strong as they thought. But dealing with... Uh, Cleanups of that nature is something you just kind of get used to in ride operations. Yep. I um, I already mentioned earlier that I'm also a teacher. I had a student throw up in my room earlier this school year, and everybody else freaked out because the custodian couldn't come over right away and clean it up. Meanwhile, I'm halfway through cleaning it because I had gloves and paper towels and cleaner in my room. Everybody else wants to flip out. I'm like, this is what I do in the summer. Yep. This is no big deal at all. <laughs> <laughs> and just get used to it after a while. After a while, you don't even think twice. It's like, oh, yay, okay. Yep. <laughs> so one of the challenges at being a ride operator is you have to enforce the park rules. And along with that comes the height requirements and parents can get very upset about their kids being too short to ride or too tall to ride the kiddie rides. I know I've seen my fair share at Coney. Um, Coney has a, or had a further restriction and we had to check for wristbands, which caused some issues when the kid was not tall enough to ride by themselves, but they had to ride with a supervising companion and the supervising companion didn't have a wristband. I know one time a park guest called me a Nazi for not letting them on the Ferris wheel because they didn't have a wristband and their kid needed a supervising companion. Good grief. <laughs> so that's one thing I have never understood. It's like, the height restrictions there for the safety of your child who's not tall enough to ride it yet. I have never been upset that my child can't ride it. Now, the child may be upset, and I just read, well, maybe next year you can get on that ride. Yeah. 
I, I've never understood why that's a hard thing for people either. It's not like you're saying they can never ride this ride. <laughs> you're just saying, maybe next year, or maybe a couple of years for <laughs> some of the kids that are significantly too short. But I have also been called quite a number of nasty names for not allowing kids that are too short to ride the ride. But at the end of the day, it's all for their safety and what I think a lot of people don't understand is that it's really not even the parks that have those restrictions put into place either. It comes from the manufacturer because the manufacturer determines how tall you have to be geometrically to be safe with those restraint systems. And so they have a particular line that they drew and it's up to the parks to enforce that line. And also in Ohio, Ohio parks have to abide by the manufacturer's recommendations, correct? You are correct. But they do. So don't get mad at the ride ops. Get mad at the manufacturer of the ride. <laughs> but also say, we're keeping your kid safe and he can go home with all his limbs. <laughs> yep. All his limbs and the... Frank to make sure he makes it through the ride in one piece without falling out. <laughs> it seems like a pretty easy concept to to figure out to me. I I understand you want your kid to to ride it. My son, who's five years old, he really wants to ride Mystic Timbers, and he was confident one day last year uh, when we were at the park that by gosh, he was tall enough, he's gonna be able to ride it. So we took him up there and told the ride up at you know the height station out front. It's like, go ahead and measure him. But you know, I was kind of giving him hand signals that don't worry, <laughs> we're just kind of doing this to appease him. And man, he was upset because he couldn't ride it because he wasn't tall enough. But he had it in his head that he was all of a sudden tall enough to ride it. And so we needed someone besides us to tell him that he couldn't. <laughs> And so, you know, of course, I want my child to be able to write it, but I also want him to write it safely. And so that's why the height requirement's there, and that's why he will not write, or I'm not going to put something in his shoes or, you know, try to cheat the system. Please don't try to cheat the system. <clears throat> Wait till your child is old enough and the right height to get them on the ride. Exactly. It may not be something that they're going to enjoy waiting, but it's... Do, do you really want to run the risk and have them ride something that they're not safe on? I don't think so. Right. At the end of the day, the rides are heavy machinery. So they can be very dangerous. Definitely yeah. not something you want to play with. Yeah. Do you, do you let your kids go out and, and Papa's workshop or dad's workshop and run all those heavy machineries by themselves? Probably not until they get to a certain age or a certain maturity level. Um, you got to kind of think of it as the same concept. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is your most memorable story from being a ride operator, Nick? So I have so many that come to mind, and a lot of them are, are the type of thing that you almost kind of had to be there. But one of my favorite stories to tell is actually 
one that you will probably remember from Coney Island, which is the uh, the time that there were a, a group of four individuals that were sent out on a paddle boat. And none of these four individuals were, let's just say they, they were not skinny. There is a maximum weight allowed on a paddle boat for a reason. Because when they're sent away from the dock and you have half the boat underwater, water starts to leak in around the, the, uh, the bottom of the boat. And so what they ended up riding was not the paddle boat, it was the Titanic because they got about 50 feet from the dock before they had taken on enough water that it started tilting. And so then they start scrambling to try to find a way to stay on the boat. Eventually it ended up on its side to where we've got a couple people now trying to stand on the side of the boat. And it eventually tipped all the way over upside down and ended up about half completely submerged under <laughs> the top of Lake Como. Oh my. And so <laughs> all of those individuals had to, of course, walk back to the dock. And then it was another probably good 30, 45 minute process between four of us that were working on it on figuring out how to get this upside down sunk paddle boat back to the dock. Turns <laughs> the right direction, drained and up on the dock so that it could finish draining and dry out. And all that could have been avoided if they had just followed the um, maximum weight on the paddle boat. And this is why it's important to follow those manufacturer recommendations we were talking about earlier. And keep in <laughs> mind that the paddle boats at Cooney had the maximum weight right by the control for the steering. And Lake Como was only three or four feet deep all the way across. So it's not like they were in any danger of drowning. They probably thought they were for a minute until they realized they could just stand up. Stand up. Yeah. It was usually the reaction when anybody would fall in the water there. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. It's not deep. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it's definitely very deceiving because you can't really see the bottom. So you have no clue how deep that little lake is. Yeah, there's one area down by where uh, Storybook Paddle Boats is at, where it was like eight or nine feet deep in like a five by five area, because that's where the old train bridge and pilings used to be. Because when we had the Como Cruiser ride, there was some pilings sticking up that were getting the Como Cruisers and the Storybook Paddle Boats stuck. My, my favorite story from Coney is, I have several obviously, but my favorite one is when I was not a manager, I was working rides and I was working at the time we had, it was helicopters and then where the river runner was at, there was a ride called Spinner E. And it had just been storming like around four o'clock, 4.30. And it was like a weekday. And they said, we're gonna stay open. It's supposed to be sunny after it start, stopped storming. And we have this picnic coming in around six o'clock. So we're gonna stay open for them. And there was nobody in the park until like six o'clock. And this is probably 2004. And the sun came out and it turns out the group that was coming down was a boys and girls club. And I was working the helicopter ride. And the person that was working spinnery got 
sick and had to go home. So I was actually floating between the two rides. And one of these kids came on the helicopter and he got off and said, I remember you from last year. You're the person that let me on the boats and trains ride. Can you go run the spinner E for me? And that just put a smile on my face. And when I was having a rough day at Coney, if we were short staffed or something, I always thought back that that little kid remembered me having a smile on my face the previous year and remembered me and I was putting a smile on his face again. And at the end of the day, being a ride operator, you're controlling the rides and getting to put smiles on people's faces and make them want to come back to the amusement park. Yeah. You actually reminded me of, um, of another story of mine from when I worked at Dollywood because there uh, were two individuals that came to ride Tennessee Tornado while I was working at Dollywood. And even though I had in, in between working at Kings Island and working at Dollywood, I had grown my hair out. And so it was a lot longer and pulled back in a ponytail. And they uh, looked at me funny and they said, didn't you used to work at the Beast? And of course, I was just completely flattered. It's like, yes, actually, I did. <laughs> and so we started having a conversation. And I remember uh, checking a train that was sent out. And I remember... The, uh, the woman saying to me, and you're just as fast as you ever were. And that's, that's been something that, uh, that I've often thought back to. I'm not going to use their names, but I'm friends with them on Facebook still and everything. <laughs> They're a great couple. I know we've talked a little bit about um, weather delays and rude guests and um, dealing with kids too too tall or too short but what what's the one you don't like dealing with the most nick so but between the ones that you mentioned definitely dealing with the rude guests but actually the the one that i would really say that gets under my skin the most are there are just certain things that you see all day every day that people do and a lot of times it's just questions they ask or things that they do that you see it all day long and it just to, it gets to grate on your nerves after a while <laughs> and the one that just is automatically my hot button is when people see a ride operator with a height stick and think that it is necessary to crouch down low to the ground and ask, am I tall enough? Like they are the first. <laughs> we have been asked that 5,000 times the first day in ride operations, and it was never funny. <laughs> and that's not just a Kings Island thing. That happened all the time at Coney, too. It happened at every park that I've worked at, except for Fast Tracks, where we didn't really have a height requirement with an age requirement there but it's just one of those things that grates on my nerves <laughs> <laughs> oh boy i, I never would have picked that <laughs> and one thing that you get trained and 
being a ride operator is you're going to get asked certain questions over and over and over and over and over again. Like, where's the closest restroom? And you're going to get tired of answering that question over and over and over. But the thing one of my fellow managers would always say is the guest that's asking you now, they don't even know the guest that asked you five minutes ago. And right. Ironically enough, one of the times I was at Kings Island, I was co-oping. I wasn't working there, but I was in my business casual clothes because I just came from an architecture firm up in Blue Ash, which was like 15, 10 minutes away. So I was, you know, in kind of dress shoes and nice pants and a polo shirt. And I had guests coming up to me thinking I was working at Kings Island asking <laughs> directions on where to go. That's really funny. I was waiting for a some friends to get off the beast and so i was standing there at that game spot there at the the end right next to la rosa's and i had three different people in a matter of a couple minutes come up and ask me for directions or you know where's this at or that at and and i'm, I'm looking at my shirt and looking at my attire thinking okay do i look like i work here because people are just assuming i knew stuff you know uh yeah i'm an enthusiast of king's island but i don't know everything yeah I mean, I was happy to help them. I, I definitely wasn't turning anybody away. If I could help them, I definitely tried. But yeah, it's just kind of interesting that some of the questions you might get, even if you're just standing there waiting for a party to get off the ride. I remember thinking it was really funny uh, a couple of years ago that I was at Bollywood. I haven't worked there since 2012, but something about what I was wearing apparently made people think that I was working there and had a couple of different people that would ask me questions about where things are. And I was perfectly happy to point them in the right direction, secretly thinking, I don't work here anymore. Why do I have to answer this? <laughs> but, and then there's the infamous question, do you work here? No, I just put on the uniform for looks. But You're just a, a really big enthusiast of Dollywood. Wear their attire. Absolutely. <laughs> I always um, enjoy when I am in uniform, though, and people ask me, do you work here? Because a lot of times I'll respond with, that's what they tell me, and they do give me paychecks, but I think it's debatable because I have way too much fun for it being work. I love to come up with snarky answers. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I certainly wouldn't trade any of my years in ride operations for anything. That's a, a pretty big statement to say. Yeah, I'm not, I'm still going to be going back to Cooney this year over at the pool side of things. Um, but it's not going to be the same as being a ride supervisor. Well, they so definitely you have, need to, you know, make it safe for everybody and, and all. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of questions about passes and how they're going to handle that. And um, if it gets delayed even more, how how's that all going to work? But the park has not stated anything as of yet of recording this on what they're going to do. So uh, up in this point to stay tuned on Kings Island's website and social media sites and KI Central. We'll discuss it there once we hear more information. Yep. So, Nick, do you have any other random thoughts on being a ride operator or words of advice? 
trying to think of what that would be. And I, th I think the only thing that I have to say is just what I said earlier. I wouldn't trade any of my years in ride operations for the world, and I don't plan on giving that up anytime in the near future. <laughs> I just think overall it's a, a great industry to be in. It's a lot of fun, and it's wonderful to be able to to make a guest stay and see to it that they're having fun because usually if they're having fun, you're having fun. So yep. It's a very good industry to be in. So once the park does open up, are you going to return this summer for Kings Island? Absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't miss it for anything. <laughs> you don't want to be a um, lifeguard at Coney? I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Even I am not going to be a lifeguard. <laughs> I might be doing their schedule, but I'm not going to be a lifeguard. <laughs> well, you could go back to school in the fall, have a really nice tan. Hey, you know, that is one of the perks, because usually you do have a really nice tan by the fall. <laughs> um, I, I will willingly admit that just about every year, either at the very end of the school year or first thing in the fall, I get questions from students. Just, so is that your sunglasses, Tan, that I see? Because it <laughs> looks like I can see the shape of your sunglasses on your face. Yes, yes it is. That's what happens when you're outside all summer long. Yep. You will definitely get a good farmer's tan going being your ride operator. For sure. Yeah, but you can't call it a farmer's tan. You got to call it an amusement park tan. Yeah. Right operator's tan. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, are definitely different nicknames. The cutest one that I've ever heard is apparently those that work at Holiday World refer to the holotan. Huh. I just thought that was cute. Yeah. <laughs> I forget who it was, but I heard I heard about that from, but called it the holotan. <laughs> <laughs> And to echo something you said earlier, Nick, some of the most fun days that I had at Coney were some of the busiest days of the season. Like July 3rd for Balloon Glow was absolutely packed with people, but it was just such a fun environment. And I mean, I know this past year, we had all the uh, four of us managers there from like 10 in the morning and we didn't leave till sometime after midnight. So we were there for like 14 plus hours and it felt like we were only there for three hours. Time just flew by and there were tons of people in the park enjoying the park and it was just a fun time. Absolutely. Time always does seem to go by really quick when you're really super busy like that. And I can echo that as well. Uh, July 3rd is, um, Something that I'm going to miss this year, not being at Coney. Because it was always a uh, pretty magical night. Well, yeah, yay, I guess I should say. But Yeah, I don't know how different it will be this year without the rides being there. I will say I was there early March for a meeting, and it was quite sad looking. They still had flying bobs there, but everything else was gone and all the ride fencing was down and of course the ferris wheel that we were talking about earlier was sold to i believe like a 
uh, ice cream place outside of Washington, D.C. that they're going to set it up for their ice cream parlor. I guess the blessing there is that at least it has new life. Yeah. And then while we're on the subject of Cooney, I know that the Carousel, Frog Hopper, and Swing Around Ride went to um, – oh, I just blanked. Fun Spot. Yeah, Fun Spot in Atlanta. And they also purchased the screen machine, although I don't know what Fun Spot they are putting it in. Either way, I was glad to see them get some new life. So that while they may not be at Coney, at least they are being utilized. Yeah. And for all you pedal boat fans out there, the paddle boat storybook will be open on weekends as well the Cincinnati mini golf. Well, since um, we were talking about the beast a little bit, the Kings Island blog today, Don had wrote this date in 1979, the testing of the beast roller coaster began. So you might want to go check that out on the Kings Island blog. He even uses a video from Kings Island Central as one of the testing videos that we had put out there long ago in the actual blog. So that was kind of cool of Don to do. So thank you very much. Um, but there was also another blog that came out a couple days ago written by Chad uh, um, talking about the ride monster at Kings Island. And there's two pages of discussion about that. It really sparked a lot of historical information to come out from Kings Island Central members after Chad released that blog. So if you want to check that out, head over to kicentral.com and, and read about that because there's a lot of cool, interesting information that came out in that discussion. Uh, that's one thing I really love about KI Central is we got lots of people who know history on the site and give a lot of good information out there. And since you mentioned that, I will fill in a couple other items. When the monster ride was at Cooney, it was located where the wipeout ride was this past season. And the rocket plane ride at Cooney was also made by the same company that made the monster. Ooh, nice. I don't think you contributed that to the thread. On no, I haven't. I haven't been in that thread yet. <laughs> Well, you need to go read it because there's a lot of cool information that people had contributed into that thread, including uh, one of Kings Island's historical persons and Kings Island blog contributor Shaggy and um, Old School 75 had put some information he learned about. Um, and Tomb Raider Ty has some good pictures in there as well. So if you're looking for some good read and learn about some Kings Island history, of the monster that is definitely a good thread to be reading all right do you have anything else to add nick i don't know that i necessarily do although uh since you were talking about the monster for a minute i will tack on it is probably about the only thing that i've operated at king's island that compares the ferris wheel at coney for all of its manual control because that ride is still completely manually operated. And really? So there, there is quite a bit of a challenge of, of learning how to operate that ride. 
And just like the Ferris wheel, you have to balance it as well, correct? That you do. It's not quite as nitpicky as Ferris wheel, but you do definitely have to balance it. Definitely very cool information. You had to go add that to the thread. All right, I think we're reaching the end. Um, do you have anything else to add, Brad? No, very cool, cool uh, discussions about being a write-off. Thank you very Nick, much, Nick, for for joining us today and telling us a little bit about your experience as a write-off. I definitely learned a couple of things, and it's really cool to get perspective from people who've worked at the park versus just being an enthusiast of the park. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. And we'll be sure to see each other around the park this year, hopefully. Absolutely. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. That concludes episode number nine of the Kings Island Central podcast, working as a ride operator. Thank you for listening to the Kings Island Central podcast. KICentral.com is Kings Island's ultimate fan site. For more discussion about Kings Island and other amusement parks, join us over at KICentral.com.